Welcome to the Lead with Excellence show, the podcast that dives deeply into topics like scaling a business, international expansion, and talent management. Welcome to the new episode of Lead with Excellence show. On the Lead with Excellence show, we chat with executives, directors, store leaders, and investors in order to deep dive in topics like sharing and scaling a business, international expansion, talent management, M&A, and many, many, many more topics. Our goal is to share these learnings and experiences to help leaders find their way to grow their company and lead with excellence. All right. So, Petrian, welcome to the show. Before we uh, deep dive into the details, and um, can you give us maybe for the few people probably that don't know you, a little bit of your background, the background around Showpad, and uh, yeah, a little bit of, of the context here. Um, my my background and the background of Showpad. Uh, so um, I started my career, I'm PJ, 40 years old, uh, three kids, married, uh, living in Ghent, Belgium. Uh, started my career as a consultant at Accenture, then joined uh, Netlog. I'm, I'm part of what they call the Netlog Mafia. So, uh, but joined Netlog, which was a social media company. Uh, you know, within the first, I would say 15, 20 employees, probably scaled the company to about 150 people. Uh, there, I met Louis, my co-founder uh, for Showpad, who was an intern in my team. Uh, founded in the pocket uh, together with Louis and Jeroen um, in 2010. First mobile app developer in in uh, in, in in Europe. Uh, company still, you know, doing great there. I'm, I'm actually still involved as well in the company as a chairman and, and shareholder. And then uh, in 2011, started uh, Showpad and. and uh, basically just from a pure customer need that we identified and then Showpad in the early days was just was an iPad app to make sales teams uh, more productive on a trade show, make sure they could find uh, the right content, present that, share that. And we've evolved, uh, yeah, from that iPad application, we've evolved the technology and the product to what today we, we call it uh, enablement operating system. It's uh, we help commercial teams, sales and marketing teams uh, be more effective. Um, we do so for a lot of the world's biggest enterprises. Uh, we're, we're getting close to 100 million uh, in, in recurring revenue, 600 employees uh, worldwide, um, raised about 170 million in, in, in funding. And uh, yes, yeah, still, still enjoying the ride. And recently I transitioned as I've led the comp Showpad for uh, 11 years as the CEO. And earlier this year, I transitioned to the role of executive uh, chairman, still very much uh, uh, engaged and active at the company, but in a different role, uh, more in the supporting role of Hendrik, the new CEO, the executive team, uh, and more focusing, I'd say, on, on longer term, more strategic things than than purely you know, day-to-day and, and operational stuff. All right. So today, so Showbite is, is yeah, 600 people, of course, based in, as you said, um, Europe and the US. And yep. You transitioned out of this, but there's clearly, I mean, for people like you went through a lot of the phases that a lot of companies are by default going through, like zero to one, yep. let's say one yep. to five, five to 10, and then, and, and then 10 to 100. Um, how does the organization evolve in your view? I mean, what's your take on, on these different phases? And you can change the, the phases if you like, but what were for you the big steps or the big milestones? Um, yeah. going from, from, yeah, from zero yeah. to the, the close to hundred million here. I think obviously, I think one of the biggest steps is, is finding amazing co-founders and people to start the journey with. And I think that's actually one of the hardest steps. And, and 
you you usually only realize that in hindsight um and i do think it's a combination of of you know luck fight you know meeting meeting the right people at a certain time where there's a meeting of the minds and energy around certain ideas and and things you want to achieve together so for me obviously a, a big step in the story of showpad is is meeting louis meeting peter uh we found a showpad with three people peter men uh, as well and 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 for me that's i think the very first step is is uh, a lot of companies are usually founded by two or more people and for me very important step there then i think the the first two years of showpad we we were a bootstrapped company we didn't I think unlike many companies and maybe in the last years, because I've seen in the last years, it was pretty crazy. Like most people, you know, if you had some experience and an ID, you, you could raise a big amount of money at crazy valuations. We, we basically worked hard on building a product, signing our first customers, iterated from that small iPad app for trade shows to again, build, building a bigger platform. And, and to me, those first two years are, are critical and, and those first, even those first months, years, because you're, you're, you're creating the culture, you're hiring those first people. So for me, the, once you found your co-founders and the, the next critical phase is hiring that first talent in the team and evolving and building the product and, and also shaping the culture. And I still see that, you know, 10 years later, the, the foundation of that culture is still at Showback. So for me, that's a, a second very important phase. And then um, you... In your, um, because with Showpad, it was one of your clients that came to one of the clients of in the bucket, like you mentioned in the introduction, yep. that came to you saying, Hey, yeah, we have this pain. You realized, yeah. can you tell us a bit, um, with or without yeah. the names of the clients? Yeah, if it's, yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. So, well, one of the, the, one of the, or the first client of Showpad was uh, a company called Numgrass, uh, fo founded by one of my, my best friends, uh, Stefan. And, um, he was, uh, they had the exclusive license for artificial grass um, in the European residential market. So you had um, a, a big artificial grass manufacturer. They would do all the sport fields, the big government projects, playgrounds, stuff like that. But then they gave a license to um, my friend who built out a big reseller network of in all European countries, local resellers who would sell that grass into the residential market. And he would support them being the HQ, support them on the marketing side, doing trade shows. And they were struggling to, they, they, they basically had a trade show where simply said it was a trade show in France and there was German collateral, you know, brochures, folders, leaflets shipped to that trade show. And to solve that problem, yeah, gave him the idea of like, why don't you just give your salespeople iPads and, and let them, you know, use the iPad for selling. And as we discovered and again this is 11 years ago it, at that time it was super hard to get content on an ipad i don't know if you remember the early days but if you wanted to open a pdf on the ipad you had to email it to yourself from your 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 desktop then yeah. open it in the mail application of your ipad open it in ibooks and a very clunky experience and so that's how we came up with we, we saw like hey you know this is actually something that we could like dive into and, and we we developed a a, a backend for the marketing team to upload content, organize it, add some branding, push that content out to the commercial team, and the commercial team could use it on on a, on a tablet. And uh, but this was, yeah, it really showed. It really started from a customer need and a, and a simple like, 
what seemed like actually a pretty simple, straightforward problem and, and not so big thing to solve maybe. But we quickly, as we shipped that first product, then we saw the reaction of the sales team. And then we started pitching this to other companies who were doing trade shows. So Dieter, for example, in Belgium, on the, top of the, uh, car, the car, how do you call it? The car, the auto salon. The, the, they're a big car distributor, Dieter, the uh, importer of Volkswagen, Audi. And they had an annual big, there's a big trade show in Belgium here, car show. And also they had immediately interest of, hey, this is pretty cool, like, because they were still using a lot of paper. And, uh, and very quickly we saw like, hey, we're doing more than just pushing content to an iPad. We're solving, you know, a, a big problem marketing and sales are facing, you know, marketing and sales alignment. How do you make sure sellers have the latest content? How do you make sure they can personalize that content and then easily share that? And if you share it, how can you track engagement of a potential customer um, with that content and what they, they're interested in? And then automating that and integrating that in CRM. And so that's how we... We, we actually, by, in some form, by accident, got exposed to this problem. We solved it. And then by solving it, we got exposed to like, whoa, this could be, we immediately knew. People always ask me, when did you knew Showpad would be or could be a, a, a big success or, or had, had a lot of potential? Louis and myself, we, we knew it the first, like literally in the first two to three deals that we sold, we said to each other, like, whoa. Like every company actually needs this and, and, and this mm. is exciting to work on. It's easy to sell. So you started from yeah. a real customer need uh, and so yep. more customer having exactly the same need and sales process were pretty, uh, right? Yep. So like you get to the first, let's say million or so in, in, in revenue. Um, what changed between let's say one and five or five and 10 or, or what are for you the big phases there um, in a company, in your organization, in, in. In, after you hire the first handful of, of talented people. Yeah. So, so from, from, from my experience, the first, like I said, the first two years we were bootstrapped. So it was like very small team working day and night, weekends, like, like literally Showpad was our life. And also for our first employees. And, and, and the cool thing is many of those first employees are actually still with, with Showpad. <laughs> Um, for some of our first developers, so that they, we have people working like 11 years at our company. Um, but then I think that the first bigger change is like when, when you raise the first round of funding and, and you start, Shopa was actually profitable. The, the, I always joke like the first two years of our company, we, we, we were making a profit. I'm, I'm not kidding you. We, we had positive cash flow, uh, positive EBITAs. Um, but then the moment you started, you know, we realized, hey, this is a really big opportunity. We need to be, you know, scale, innovating quicker and scaling our go-to-market quicker. And so then we raised the first round of funding uh, with Hummingbird Ventures. Um, and then that's also the moment that we started hiring more aggressively. Like, like I think at that time we were maybe 12 people. And, and so I, I think we, we tripled then the team in, in, in less than a year opening a U.S. office, Louis moved to the U.S. I started spending a crazy amount of time in, in, in the U.S. as well, focusing on that big market. I think obviously that's when you need, you go from really knowing your colleagues, your team super well, sitting with everybody on the same table every day and, and, and around the table and in the same office to like, we actually, from 2013, when we started scaling internationally, we became partly remote because there was always a team. We had people in the US, we started hiring people in the UK. We, we grew pretty aggressively in Belgium. And that's when you need, you, you need to start adding 
you know, process and you need to start, you know, adding, thinking about like, um, how do I deal with pay raises? How do I, uh, how do I make sure that we have like, uh, you know, how do we make sure if we send invoices that somebody looks that are they paid and, and how, how do you, you know, you start, you need to start making budgets for like travel and, and all these things. And, and so I think that's obviously, I think that's always a big, a lot of the attention. And I think that's always a critical phase because if you don't surround yourself at that time with really great people, too much of your attention as a founder, co-founder, CEO, you will start to waste on things that are actually that that are important to run a, a good business, but actually will not move the needle significantly or significantly enough in terms of growth or in terms of like how you position yourself in the market. So you need to make sure that that you attract the right talent so that you can keep being focused on like evolving the product, being very close to the market. Um, spending time out there with investors, with attracting talent. Like you, you actually start to realize that a lot of your time as a CEO at that point starts to become attracting talent, attracting talent versus like maybe doing um, a lot of the work yourself. Um, and how has your, your role changed in these different phases? I mean, you, you, you go from, okay, being the first salesperson to starting to, yep. and, and probably also product, uh, yep. product guy to, how does that change across the different phases that you you um you see and what was difficult about that? Yep. Yeah, I, I think for me the most um I, I think as a as a CEO of a company that grows and scales, I think you you constantly reinvent yourself and I, I have to reinvent yourself. And I, I think like I, I would probably identify probably you know, there's probably four different P, PJ CEOs in in, in, in the or or I evolved like and in, in, in four, I would say four times in, in a bigger way where in the beginning, it's you're, you're super hands-on, you're doing everything, marketing, product, sales, like you said, you're, 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 yeah, super close connected to the team. Then the, the, the first time you, you, you're exposed to like venture capital, investors, board, um, you start like scaling your, your people operation. And that's, I think in broad terms, it's really evolving from you being like you and your co-founder being the single point of failure, as I would call it, to like really creating a system where you consistently can attract talent, that talent can grow and knows what to do, um, where you can also focus on, on evolving how you think about the future of the company, how you think about maintaining the culture. And, and to me, if, if I look at the PJ of 10 or 11 years ago to the PJ now is like at the end of the day, like once you start really scaling, the role of a CEO is, is, is much less about like being constantly in the weeds and in the date, you know, in, in, in all the operational stuff. It's also like you have to spend time on, on and force yourself to spend time on, on, on long-term strategy, on, you know, really thinking strategically about culture, talent. How are you going to maintain that innovation? How, how do you create that context? And a, a lot of the the focus of a CEO, I see the, the role of a CEO really to create the context for a company to be successful and be able to, in some way, it's like you need to have a, I, I was a very controlling in the early days, a very controlling CEO or a very controlling, but like you, you wanted to know everything, be involved in everything, have the feeling that you decide at least are involved in every important decision and that you drive that. 
And but that's not sustainable if if you grow and scale. Mm. And so for me, it's like every time you're actually letting go of of more of like the control. I always think control. I like you get that question. I was like, hey, uh, you have six, uh, five hundred employees, six hundred employees. How can you keep control over over your company? Well, I always say control is an illusion. The, the only thing that you can do is gather amazing people around you to to help you create the context, to help you. You know, build profit structures, uh, mm. a shared vision, a common goal, and 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 kind of and track your progress towards that goal in in a in a in a good way. And so for me, it's like for me, it was a long lesson in, in letting go of of things, of of you know trusting people, of of delegating, but also like again, sometimes you know sometimes that works out well, and sometimes that doesn't work out well, and 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 it's like in everything in life, sometimes you. <laughs> You you trust people, you delegate things, but if you then, you know, it, it's basically I read somewhere online somebody saying that yeah, it's like you have to it's trust and verify, and it's like you need to give a lot of freedom to people, but also like make sure that you keep on stay on top of things and verify if like the objectives that you set for the company or that person or that team that those things are being executed on and are being executed in a way that aligns with. The culture of the company, the vision of the company. So it's 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 trust and verify. I thought it was a good expression in terms of how to think about like hiring great leaders and 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 working with them to to realize the success. Yeah, they, I mean, let's deep dive a little bit on that because um, what in the pre-interview, one of the things we discussed is um, you were a pretty hands-on sales uh, from the beginning, right? You yeah. you were involved, um, and that's one of the things that a lot of that people that get to a million, half a million euros in, in revenue, yep. um, they, they try to outsource the sales maybe yep. too quickly, um, try to yep. find a big shot VP of sales and yep. need to fire them six or 12 months later. Um, yep. can, can you run us through the, that journey, how you did it? Because, okay, yes, you were sales driven, but you also had yep. Um, yep. A, a head of sales at that time and, and, and that trust and verify, how, how did that go at that, po at that point yep. in time? Yeah, it, it's, I think for me, so up until probably, I think three or 400K in ARR, I, I think Louis and myself sold most of the deals or were involved at least in most of the deals. Um, as we then scaled, Louis was probably a bit more, kept uh, uh, definitely a bit more in the earlier days, uh, uh, focused on, on the sales part. Well, well, I was then also more focused on, on like building some process and structure and, 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 and making sure that we, you know, did all of that. We we've I mean we've hired many different types of sales leaders along the along the the the, the journey with Showpad and and a lot of sales leaders have done great things. I, I think for me the trust and verify is, is I think I agree with your statement that like I I definitely believe I mean I'm I'm also an angel investor in in, in many startups and I always I think as a co-founder co-founders no, no matter what the role is like I do think co-founders should be. Or and are probably in most cases uh, the, the best salespeople, even though they're not maybe necessarily have a sales background. Like you have to, if you you have to be able to talk about the vision, what your product does, and and I still actually enjoy getting in front of customers. I'm doing this after this call. Actually, uh, I'm jumping on a call for a shop at Prospect, and I still very much in, enjoy that because you you have so much knowledge on what they're trying to solve, and and you can back that with real examples and, and stuff like that. But then to the moment you start obviously scaling your sales team, and I think it's very important that first and foremost, like 
especially in the, in the early days, if you're going from like a couple of hundred K in ARR and you try to hire your first sales leader, I do think that sales leader needs to be first and foremost, I would definitely make sure that the person is, 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 is able to like sell the product and understands the product and, and, and can actually, I would challenge that person uh, to also sell deals. I mean, for, for Showpad, one of our very first sales leaders who did very well uh, was David and, and David was a, a super strong salesman. Like he could sell show, he, he could sell our solution in a great way. That is also the reason why he then was a great coach for the sale, first salespeople that came into Showpad and made them very successful because he could, if he was in a meeting or in a call, he could give them great feedback on like how to position us, how to change that, and then translate that feedback into input for the marketing team on how to improve maybe messaging and positioning or give feedback to product of like, hey, this is something our customers ask, right? So I think the first, your first salesperson definitely needs to be somebody who's who's close to the product, like able to do the selling themselves. I think obviously once you start scaling, then, and, and that's where it sometimes gets more confusing because it's not always the case that sales leaders who are very strong at scaling uh, a sales organization might not necessarily be, do you want to have them spend a lot of time on like being able to sell the product, right? That's always like a dilemma in some way because you need somebody who's able to like build structure, attract talent, grow that talent. And once you, mm. once you have layers of, once you have like a CRO and SVPs and VPs and directors and managers, and, and I think at Showpad right now we have like, in our sales organization, probably if you're on the AE side, like something like 70 people or 80 people that's then without BDRs, that's then without CSMs or without sales engineers. Mm -hmm. like, so it definitely changes along the way. And, and, and then I think it becomes maybe less important in the sense of you need somebody who definitely has affinity with the, with the, the, the space who can get in front of a customer, make a good impression, talk a bit about certain things. But I would definitely say in the early stage, like if you hire a sales leader, that that leader also needs to be able to um, to sell the so, product. And I, and, I, and I would definitely make sure that you, yeah, and then score sell together with the founders. And, and, and those first mm. like couple of months, you need to go out there together. And, and I think that that's great for, for uh, both of uh, both of you then, because you can learn from a sales professional and they will learn from your vision and, and your product knowledge and, and market knowledge. It's the best handover actually for, uh, for them. Yeah. At, at Chopat, when, when talking about finding the right people, um, I know you have been a very big advocate of, uh, or at least for a point of time for a chief of staff role. Yep. Um, I know the current, your current, the, the CEO today has been your CEO of staff role back, yep. uh, back at the time. Can you explain a little bit why, why this is and, and why people maybe should do that earlier than, than yep. they expect? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we started doing that at Showpad probably around, I would say probably in between the five to 10 million ARR, probably closer to 10. I, I think I hired my first chief of staff. Um, but to me, it was more, I was just noticing, the moment you notice as a CEO that you're working on on things that don't don't materially move the needle, as I call it. And, and material moves the needle is a big, a big word. Those are things that they move the needle. You need to spend time on it, but it's actually there's still other things that can have a bigger impact. And to me, it was like, think about like, I was spending time at a certain moment. I was like, you know, let's say the project manager for CRM and 
implementation. I was um, heavily involved in all the, like everything that we did on like uh, sales kickoffs, uh, organizing them uh, or, or annual customer event. Like, like I was always like so in, so involved, maybe because of my nature, also in the details of some of these, you know, bigger projects that I found very important. I wanted to be involved in, but then I realized like, oh man, like, you know, there needs to be somebody who's not the head of marketing or somebody who's not, um, I didn't have a CFO yet at the time or a finance director or, or maybe a rev ops. We didn't have that. So a lot of these things where I'm like, ah, I'm spending time here. It's important. This needs to be done really well, but there's also, you know, fundraising. There's also, um, spending time with customers. There's also hiring talent. There's other things that I thought were more a priority. How do you, you know, make sure you make best use of your time. And for me as well, there was then also the reality that I was like constantly flying back Europe to the US and, and yeah, it becomes quite busy. And so that that's when I thought, hey, let, let's, you know, hire somebody super, who's more analytical. I'm, I'm also, I like data numbers, but I'm very much as well. I, I like to make decisions then like combine that with gut feel and, 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 mm. and intuition. And I wanted to have like somebody next to me who is super strong in data and numbers and managing projects and then doing that very detailed. And for me, again, the, the best types for, for me, the best type of person there were like people with backgrounds and, 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 and consulting BCG, Bain, um, McKinsey. If you will look at my chief of staffs, usually again, people who are way smarter than me, who are very detail oriented, very analytical, very who can also think strategically and, and combine some of those things. And to me, it's a great combo because then your your the level of your executive meetings, they, they go up because you're way better prepared as a CEO. Your board meetings are better because the pack, all of the preparation that goes into then meetings, making decisions, doing acquisitions. We, we did nine acquisitions with Showpad, so as well going through the details there. And so to me, I've really enjoyed working with, chief of staffs for me it worked very well because they they complimented me uh, you know I, I knew i knew what my weakness was and is and, and kind of helped you know looked at mm. the chief of staff to, to cover for me and they, they made me look better as a ceo than than i so. that's always good yeah uh and and you're not the only one in the company right that had chief of staff. i know some of the other guys also in the team had some um, is it fair to say that it kind of doubles your bandwidth? That's, I mean, when people ask me, that's yeah, yeah, it's, how it's, I... it's, it's for sure. It's, 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 it's you, you increase your bandwidth. Um, and for me, it's also like for many of, of those people, it was, it's also a great m career move. I, I mean, if I look at all my chief of staffs and where they are today, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of where they've gone. Some of them are still at Showpad and like leadership roles. Other have started their own company and, and, and been pretty successful. Um, uh, so, so I think two of them became entrepreneurs themselves. Uh, one of them is a SVP, uh, has led customer success for the last two years at Showpad. And Hendrik is now the CEO of Showpad. So I think it's a pretty, a pretty good mm. track record of, 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 um, of, of my chiefs of staff. And, and again, to me, I think why that role is so great for, for what was appealing for them is at a quite a young age as well, they could, my, I gave my chief of staff access to everything. Like they were in all the executive meetings. They're in all the board meetings. There's literally no secrets. They're like, like to, to me, they're, they're, they're really, they, 
they experience firsthand kind of the day-to-day of a CEO of a very gr- fast-growing company. And I think mm. that's super valuable experience um, for, for many people. Cool. All right, so let's talk funding for a moment. So last yep. 10 years have been fund, uh, funding-wise pretty um, good. Things have changed now. Yep. Um, reflecting back, I mean, you have been quite efficient, as you say, getting 100 million euros in ARR with yep. by average yeah. about 170, which yep. is, I mean, clearly um, very good. However, would you do it the same way today? Or uh, what would you recommend people who reach one, yeah. one and a half million? How would you, what would you raise yeah. and, and how would you raise it? I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. For me, the, 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 the challenge with raising money is is always uh, is is that it's 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 it it impacts the company in, in in different ways, right? And and I think there's always a risk, and I've seen that now happen definitely in the last couple of years, is when you raise a ton of money, but you don't have the 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 right team around you and and a clear kind of vision or or clear direction where you want to go then the best thing to do is actually leave it in the bank account and slow down and make sure that you hire the right people and, and work on uh, work on that vision before you start spending it. And I think the risk is when you raise too much. The risk is not raising too much money. There's always risk. I mean, that risk is pretty clear. It's dilution. It's new people on the cap table. It's investors who will, obviously, you have something to say and, and, and who hopefully help you to reach your goals. But But it's also, again, for me, a risk of like, you know, increasing your burn w- without actually having strong fundamentals. And if I look back at the funding, uh, you know, the, the, the funding of, of Showpad and what we've done there, I, I think from, from my side, um, our funding trajectory um, is good. We raised probably at some point, maybe a little bit too much money, uh, which, which to me, again, without that, we were ready for it. We didn't have yet the, the, the processes, the team to really spend that as efficient as I would love to spend it. It's probably, probably how many startups um, um, go through that motions of learning. Um, mm-hmm. But to me, the most important thing when you raise money is like, one, I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful that we have amazing investors on our board who've been amazingly supportive for the last 12 years, who helped us to grow the company, who supported us in the, the good times, but also in the tougher times. Um, and to me, so first and foremost, make sure that when you hire, uh, when, not when you hire, when you take investment, that you, you know who you're getting on board with and do your own diligence and make sure, especially the board member in your board is, is somebody that you will enjoy working with for the next in my board, uh, we've, uh, some of the board members I've been now working with almost nine years, right? So it's 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 a long term, it mm. is a long term relation, and and you need to be uh, you need to enjoy being in the same room with those people or, or or communicating with them regularly. So I think that's one. Second, make sure that you have a plan for the money, and if you don't have a plan, I mean, you can take the money, but then you know, be don't use it, don't don't use it maybe too quickly, and 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 make yeah. sure that you you. You have, take your time. I would take more time to hire extremely good talent and, and, and be patient there. And sometimes you're kind of, ah, you have the money in the bank. You, I have all these plans. You're, as an entrepreneur, you're very, um, very bullish and optimistic about the future. But then make sure that you, you, you put the bar extremely high in terms of like, what are the people, who are the people that you're bringing into, um, bring into the company? 
Um, so, so I think that's, uh, that's another thing. And, so and I then, was saying like, you know, you, you raise maybe two, three, five million euros, stick, leave it in the bank for the next six months, nine months until you have the infrastructure in place to really deploy it. Because sometimes, getting some, sometimes it's, yeah, yeah, but, some, but sometimes it's chicken or egg, right? Because sometimes you need to spend that money to hire that people as well or, or build that infrastructure. So it, it depends a little bit. I'm not saying keep the money in the bank. I'm just saying like be, you know, and always, and always think of a scenario B. I, I mean, look at the current markets, right? I think there were some startups mm. who the world is a fast changing place and, and, and the reality of today could be totally different than the reality of tomorrow. So as well, like make sure something I always did is like build backup scenarios in my head of like, well, you know, or even could be very rough. Like what if this happens or what if suddenly for some reason we lose a couple of big customers and, and we hit a, bad, a couple of bad quarters. How does this affect cash position? How does this affect where the company is? Because ultimately, I, I always, I've always strived to make sure that Showpad could be, you know, could thrive and survive no matter what. And and mm. um, and I think that's something that you have to keep in in mind as well when raising. So again, it's double because sometimes that would mean okay, we need to raise a lot of money, maybe not spend it today, uh, build build the team and the infrastructure to make it happen tomorrow. But then you will have investors who say, hey, PJ, like. You know, we raise we raise money at this valuation, and 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 we need this growth, and you need to be more aggressive and start spending it. So it's like kind of balancing that. It's balancing. Yeah. So, and, and, but but if I summarize this one, it's like okay, if you're not ready to skip to to if you don't have the infrastructure in place, take the time to hire one two key executives who put the yep. infrastructure in place before you hire these fifty or twenty. Yeah, AEs because it's the AEs in the yep. model that 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 basically uh, yeah. generates this 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 uh, hockey stick effect. Huh? So it's not yeah. the it's not a VC the VP of sales or so. So it would be would be would be great if if it, it would immediately go from the spreadsheet to the reality, right? But that's uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, always the hard All right. part. So last question because I know you have uh, also a, a deadline after this one. M and A wise, you mentioned you have done nine M and As. Um, yep. and in the pre-interview, we discussed there were some were easy, some were more difficult. Can you just share your two cents on that? Because at some point, once you get to a certain level, um, and I had, um, uh, Cédric Pira from FEC, uh, on, 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 on the podcast and they are growing aggressively through MA. Now it's yep. a different situation than yours, meaning there are CRM and there are, the CRM ecosphere is more mature. Uh, so things how do you look at MA and how what's your experience in integrating um on that end yeah uh, so we've done a, a lot of different types of MA at showpads like from uh i would say pure uh, call it kind of a product acquisition uh, aqua hires to like revenue tuck-ins to like bigger uh, acquisitions which had a combination of you know we, we wanted the product we wanted the team we bought revenue um I think with with M and A, I think there's always a um, that there's always a um, how do you say that? Like it's easy to kind of get caught into a certain. I, I how how would I describe it in the best way? Like if you have a certain vision for where you want to go as a company, and suddenly you see this product or this team that can help you get there quicker, that's always compelling to do something, right? Like you will start to see like, whoa, okay, and and there's a match, and and I think for me. The, the 
it's always very, be very clear. I think before you get excited about like M&A opportunities, I think you need to define, make sure that your own strategy is very clear. Kind of mm -hmm. like, where do you want to go as a company? What are the key priorities? And only even, even acquisition fits like really what is key for, for your company, then consider it and engage with it and still be very critical and put that bar very high in terms of when you eventually get to a transaction. Um, I, I think from, from our side, we've done some acquisitions where we paid, I would say very little money at the time mm -hmm. again, for, for having amazing results at Showpad. And then, uh, an example there, for example, is, is we, we acquired at the moment, a company, which is now Showpad. A lot, almost all of our customers use our experience framework and actually the foundation of, of some of that, those templates and things that we use in Showpad came from an acquisition, but that was like a, you know, two founders and then a team of seven people remotely. And again, small acquisition, they, they had a bunch of customers. I mean, again, for the founders, it was great, good outcome for us. It was actually not that much money, but then it impacted our company and still does today. And it, it pays dividends. Then on the other side, we did an acquisition, uh, or our biggest one is this LearnCore in, in Chicago. And we vastly underestimated that. that. That was the first time that we, again, that was a team of 50 or 60 people. They had a couple of million in revenue. Um, uh, again, a, a product that we wanted to integrate. And so suddenly we had to integrate the teams, integrate the product, um, change our messaging as a company. And so that was the first time we did an acquisition of that size. And I can definitely say in hindsight, it was way more work than we, we, we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. and, and then simply said, if we, we, we planned out to be all of those work streams of integrating the product and teams and things like that would be one year. And I think the reality was it took us two years or maybe even a bit more to actually fully complete digested acquisition. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, it, it's, it's, and, and for us, the, for me, the reason there that that's maybe, I, I think what companies can do there to mitigate some of the risk is actually get people on board who have experience with like acquiring companies or integrating mm. them. And, and then we had very limited, we build up all of that experience or most of that experience ourselves internally. Yeah. Um, and, and we first did a bunch of smaller ones and they all went pretty well because they were very, they were smaller and, and, and then it's, it's you, the overview you get or the planning you can do is much clearer and, and you can move way quicker. And then the, the bigger ones that we did were, were, were just, oh man, they, they were a pain uh, for everybody involved. I mean, and, and they definitely supported our growth and they supported our goals. And in hindsight, they all made sense and I'm, I'm happy that we did them, but it definitely was way more painful than, uh, than we thought it would be yeah, sometimes. Yep. All right, cool. Um, well, PG, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for sharing all of these things. Um, I wish um, a good day, good meeting with your clients. Yes. And we'll catch up soon. Yes, uh, great to uh, be on uh, be on your podcast So uh, and uh, uh, talk soon. So thanks for having yes. me and uh, thanks for listening to the listeners. And that concludes today's episode of the Lead with Excellence show. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome, and you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening.